0: Welcome back to the Traders Point Church of Christ podcast and thank you for joining us. Each week we open up the Bible for just a few minutes and discuss God's Word together. We discuss its meaning and the ways in which we can apply it in our walk as followers of Christ. If you'd like more information about the Traders Point Church of Christ, you can visit our website at traderspointchurch.org and you can follow us on Facebook and YouTube as well. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please take just a second to do that so you can stay up to date on all of the content that's put out on this channel. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's conversation.
1: Welcome and thank you once again for joining us for our study over the Gospel of Mark. We have been, over the last nine weeks, kind of working our way through the Gospel, kind of a chapter at a time and uh, we'll continue to do that. We're going to look at Mark chapter 10. It's another kind of lengthy chapter and there's a lot going on. And, and in the time that we have, uh, you know, in the 20-minute range, we're certainly not going to have the time to dive into every bit and piece, you know, that is found in Mark chapter 10. And so as we have in the past, we'll encourage if you have an opportunity to, you know, to open up Mark 10 and read. It won't take you very long to read it, but, you know, to kind of keep uh, track of where we are. But we'll talk about a few things, you know, kind of along the way. Things really begin to move very quickly Mm -hmm. for Jesus. You know, now, uh, well, uh, he has been moving very quickly, (laughs) you know, uh, throughout the entirety of uh, this gospel. But towards the end, uh, certainly towards uh, crucifixion, uh, which will be coming up in a few chapters. But you really start to feel it, you know, here in Mark chapter 10. So before we dive into that, John, why don't you kind of help us out a little bit, kind of where we've been, maybe a little bit on, you know, kind of the purpose that Mark has been, you know, kind of telling the story of Jesus Mm -hmm. for us, And, and as we've made mention that, you know, Mark chapter 10... It really holds a lot of teaching from Jesus. We've seen a lot of miracles uh, yep. given to us. We'll see that at the very end of this chapter, mm-hmm. but really it is a chapter of teaching and pretty specific teaching and certainly uh, heading in a specific direction.
0: Yeah, I think you, you hit on a lot of it. I mean, Mark chapter 9 was a, a challenging one for us to get through in that 15 to 20-minute range because of all that's in there. But I think what we're finding is that's just kind of the case with all of these chapters, because Jesus is doing so much and everywhere he goes, there are so many people. That's one of the first things that Mark points out here at the beginning of chapter 10 is just once again, he's just surrounded by multitudes of people. And it's like that everywhere he goes. And he is, he is so compassionate and so caring that he gives his time to everyone that he comes in contact with and every opportunity that he has and you know as a result of that there's just a lot to record uh, and a lot uh, of of interactions that Jesus is having here we we saw it in mark chapter 9 jesus taking a couple of his disciples up to the mountain where he was transfigured, and we see that interaction that takes place there in chapter 9. And, of course, that was very intentional for those three men. There was a, a, a important purpose behind that for them. And so not only is he dedicating himself to the multitudes, but he's also trying, as that timeline begins to speed up, to prepare his disciples for the time in which he's going to be gone. And, of course, Peter, James, and John are going to play a huge part in the continuing of the spread of the gospel after Jesus is gone. And so we see him doing both of those things, trying to prepare his apostles as well as give of himself and his time to all those that are around him.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting, as I was reading uh, this chapter again, you know, here in in Mark chapter 10, there's there's a lot going on. And and again, we're not going to have time to dive into every piece of it. But I think there are a couple of interesting things that are happening, you know. Here, it, it is a it's a chapter of heavy teaching. Yeah. I mean, there's no question about that. But I think, uh, you know, when you really kind of dig into it, I, I think Jesus is really kind of combating a couple of different things. I, I think, you know, well, and I think we'll talk about both of them. I think number one, he's com- he's kind of combating kind of the religious culture a mm-hmm. little bit. And, uh, and, and trying to paint the picture that, you know, it, it's not about what man or even religious man thinks. It's always been about what God thinks. Mm-hmm. And, he'll, and he'll use a specific teaching to kind of showcase that point. And then I think he follows that up with kind of uh, world culture, if you will. Uh, you know, just in, in general, the, the struggles that man has pursuing riches, yeah. uh, that's just culturally no different certainly today. And, and I think the uh, 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 the way that man struggles with pride in a mm-hmm. lot of, again, no, no different today than than then, and so he's yeah. kind of going to combat, you know, both of those. That first one we've talked about, I, I thought about in, in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, it reminded me a little bit of how, you know, Jesus is kind of dealing with, you, you've heard this said, you know, this is what's taught now, but th- this is really uh, the important part. This is what God wants. And and he kind of goes and hits, you know, multiple different things along the way. And, and this is very similar to that. It's very specific teaching, and, and the specific teaching is not to be lost. There's right. points to be made about divorce, uh, specifically here, yep. but I think there's a big picture uh, piece here where you know he's making the point that this has been allowed, even religiously allowed. Mm-hmm. But from the very beginning, this is the what God thinks about it. So let's let's concern ourselves with what God thinks and not necessarily what man thinks.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right, and it's it's telling uh, the wording that's used in verse number two when the Pharisees asked this question: Is it lawful for a man divorce, to divorce his wife? They were testing him, right? and this is something that we've seen them do before. They're not necessarily interested in the right answer. They're not necessarily interested in getting a deeper understanding of what God has to say. They're, they're trying to test Jesus. They're trying to find fault in him. They're trying to trap him in some way, but Jesus answers their question in a, in a very clear and very precise manner. And, and it's really important, I think, is, you know, you, you mentioned that there's a couple of, of different ways you can read this, both from the very specific response about divorce that Jesus is going to give and then kind of the bigger picture part of this. But it's worth noting that by the end of verse number nine, as Jesus concludes what he has to say there, therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate, he has answered their question. He has answered their question thoroughly and completely. And and so if our question is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, Jesus answers that question in verses 5 through 9. And the answer is, what God has joined together, let no man separate. From the very beginning, God created man and woman to become one flesh as husband and wife, and they are not to be separated. That's the answer to their question. Now, we see in verse number 10 that there's going to be some follow-up to that as he leaves that situation and goes into his, a room with his disciples to talk, and he's going to expand on that a little bit. But the answer to that question is very clear, and it's very simple, and it's not complicated. And Jesus does the the very important task of making sure that the, the Pharisees and all of those around them see that the customs, the traditions, even going back to the old law, those aren't your standards any longer. This is what God wanted from the very beginning when it came to marriage and divorce. He wanted husband and wife to be together forever. That's what God wanted from the very beginning. And for us today as Christians, we can look back and we can say, well, what has God wanted from me from the very beginning? We've talked, we've, we've done a series on this podcast before about the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus taught there. And we talked a lot about how he pointed to the heart. That's what God has always wanted from man. That has never changed. And this is what God has wanted from marriage. It has never changed. And, and, and Jesus helps make that point very clear. And I think it's really impactful for us today, not being Jews, not being a part of this first century culture, to realize that God's position on this has never changed.
1: Yeah, and I mean two two things kind of come to my mind when you were uh, talking there. I mean, in Mark chapter nine, it, just one chapter before, I mean, you had the story of the transfiguration, and there and there's there's a, a lot of. Uh, big moment things that take place there with Peter, James, and John there up on the mountain, and, and they see Jesus, he's transfigured, and mo- that would have been uh, amazing and something difficult to comprehend. Mm-hmm. He's there with Moses and Elijah, that would have been amazing, that would have been difficult to comprehend. But you know, we, we can't lose sight of the fact that while all of this is going on, God speaks, mm-hmm. you know, as well from up there, that would have been amazing, that would yeah. have been difficult <laughs> to comprehend. But. What God says isn't difficult. Yeah. It isn't challenging. This is Jesus, my son, hear him. And so we're establishing that level of authority, and we've talked a little bit about that. And you see kind of Jesus you know, pointing that out here with this piece of teaching where, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it may be what Moses has said. It may be in what he allowed. It may be what the religious teachers of the day have said and what they have allowed. But let's not lose sight about what God has said. Right. That always yep. is the most important thing and uh and that's the piece of teaching that you have right here and basically he's like, no, God is not interested in man and wife divorcing. Mm-hmm. It was never to be the case from the beginning. He put them together, and they were to not separate and I think it's interesting you made mention that after they go into the house, you get there in ten eleven and twelve uh verses ten eleven twelve he kind of he reiterates. And uh, he really makes kind of a big picture point mm-hmm. and then brings it pretty pretty specific. And, and yep. you can't be missed. I mean, he hits it really on both sides. You know, whoever divorces his wife and marries another, they're committing adultery. And, and he wants to make sure you understand that the flip side of that, you know, is true as well. If a woman divorces her husband and, and she marries another, they commit adultery. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody there, they understand adultery is, is the bad, they, that's the sin. They don't yep. want to be a part of that in any way. And, you know, it really comes down to simple teaching yep. and most importantly, what does God think? Not what does man think, but what does God think? And ultimately, as we get into riches and we get mm-hmm. into pride and we're struggling with th- what does the world think is right or what do we think is right, ultimately it's still going to come
0: back to what does God think? Yeah, I think it's interesting that you mentioned specifically the idea of pride because as I was reading through this chapter, I think that is, is perhaps one of the themes that shows up, and it's it's one of the threads that kind of connects these different interactions and different stories that were told here, because when it when it comes to divorce, oftentimes it's pridefulness that has led to that situation and wanting to do things your own way, not God's way. And then as he talks about the children that are coming to him, you know the disciples are, are are like you know we need to get these guys out of here they're in the way and but Jesus is using them as an example and and he says that you need to come to me like little children and little children you know are needy and little children are weak and and little children are excitable and and those are the qualities that God wants to see in us he wants to see that meekness. And it's the, that, those qualities that he sees true value in. And, you know, we're going to talk about the rich young ruler that he interacts with. And, and there's going to certainly be an aspect of that in that teaching as well. I think that is this idea of pride is, is something that whether intentionally or just the way it worked out here in Mark chapter 10, I do think that's a thread that we see throughout this whole chapter yeah you may mention the rich young
1: ruler and, and most certainly he's struggling with that. It's a story that that Mark includes here, both Matthew and Luke includes mm-hmm. it as well. even the discussion that follows that story, you do get a little bit from Matthew and Luke, very yeah. similar kinds of teaching, but you know he kind of tells a story about you know someone who comes to him, someone who is religious. Someone who understands who Jesus is, someone who understands an importance of his uh, his opinion and his thoughts. I mean, he's coming to him, you know, with a, a really uh, good question there in verse yeah. seventeen. You know, what what can I do to inherit eternal life? And and he, he and Jesus kind of lists off, you know, some of the commandments, specifically some of the you know the ten commandments and, and some other things and and this young man is we know him to be a religious person because he says i've i've observed all of those but not just have mm-hmm. observed all of those from my youth i have observed all of those yeah but yet here you have that teaching on pride for sure coming into play and what it leads jesus in to make some points about our wealth our mm-hmm. materialism really in a lot of ways when jesus says you know you're you're missing just one thing right and you're like well that you know that shouldn't be a big deal one thing yeah and he tells him, you know, sell what you have, give it to the poor, and your treasure will be in heaven. And he hears that, and he goes away grieved, and he does that because he has great possessions. And so now we have that picture of, he's Jesus said, this is what gets you treasure in heaven, but now he is valuing that treasure here higher than that. So he's yeah. not willing to give that up. And so his perspective certainly is off base, but I think you're right. It is his pride that is causing him a big problem. Now, Jesus will use that and make a point about riches and wealth. Yep. But it, it is, it's a sad commentary uh, that you see here and a sad story, really, that's shown to us. But in reality, it is probably the vast majority of humanity
0: mm-hmm. that really falls prey. Yeah. I think when you read verses 19 and 20 this rich young ruler was probably feeling pretty good about himself sure. right about that point in time. Uh, he's he's obviously been serious about keeping the commandments, and he is quick to make sure everybody knows that, and he's feeling pretty good. And In all honesty, he was probably hoping that that would be Jesus' answer when he asked the question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Because if that's the answer, he's doing pretty good. He's right. in good shape. But then when Jesus comes back to him with... Uh, this request that he give all that he has away or sell it all to the poor or give it all to the poor, it, it really forces him to come to terms with, like you said, how much he truly values his desire to have eternal life. And, you know, it's interesting because selling all that we have and giving it to the poor, that's not a requirement of us to be righteous in any way. But Jesus here is using that as a measurement to test his faith. If he truly valued that and knows who Jesus is, and Jesus says, this is what I want you to do, he would have done it in a heartbeat. But to your point, it, it shined a spotlight on the fact that he valued those riches. He had, his identity was in those riches here on earth more so than his desire for eternal life. And it led him to go away sorrowful and he wasn't willing to part with those possessions. And so it's a good it's a good uh litmus test for us not because it's a requirement that we live a destitute life in any way, but if we have a pridefulness to us uh, that brings us to desire these earthly possessions more than to desire eternal life in heaven, then we need to take a step back and realize that we've got some serious problems that we need to come to terms with. Otherwise, we're too going to go away sorrowful. Yeah, I think of the teaching that comes,
1: you know, after that in verses twenty three through twenty seven. There's a phrase that's used. Uh, you know, I, I think that it is helpful for us to really see, you know, the point that he's trying to make there in verse twenty four about the where are you placing your value? Mm-hmm. Right? Are, are you are you putting your trust in these riches? Or are you putting your trust in in God. And so, you know, verse 23 is kind of a, a pretty well-known, you know, yeah. passage there, but sometimes we miss really in verse 24 kind of explains it, uh the point that Jesus is making a little bit more when he says there at the end of verse 24, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Yeah. And, and so he is he's given that dichotomy of are you trusting in God? Yeah. Uh, that's where you need to be, or are you putting your trust in riches? It doesn't make a difference how many riches you have. Right. Because if you have riches, mm-hmm. but yet you put your trust in God, well, you're, as the point that he makes, people may think that that's a difficult thing, but with God, all things are possible. You're still you know, in, a pretty good, you're in a pretty good place. So it's not having or not having mm-hmm. riches, which is a subjective thing anyways, right. but it is trusting in God versus trusting in those riches. That is what makes a difference. And if you put your trust in God... All things are possible with God. Mm-hmm.
0: That's it's going back to that point we were just making about the consistency of Jesus's teaching about wanting the heart, and and where is your heart? Is it is it with Christ? Is it aligned with with Him and, and what He wants you to be, or is it grounded in the riches that this life offers? And that's really the the test that we all have to continuously be measuring ourselves to because it's something that day in and day out we're going to be faced with that challenge of, well, where is our heart? Where where do we truly find value and identity? Is it in the riches of this life or or is it in eternal life that God offers to us? And it's something that, that again, regardless of how much we have, we all have to come to terms with that. And that, you know, that that almost acts as a little bit of a break. It seems as if verse 32, you know, they're on the road going to Jerusalem. There's a little bit of a break that takes place, it seems, after this teaching. Not as big of a one necessarily, I think, as we get into chapter eleven. Uh, but clearly they're moving, they're transitioning from this point. And we get into verse number thirty-two, and it's really gonna lead us then. Uh, to ultimately where chapter eleven will start in a little bit, but they begin to change venues a little bit as now Jesus, for a third time, tries to talk to his disciples about his impending death, and he's had limited success in getting that point across to them thus far, and so he's going to try a third time to do it.
1: Yeah, and you know this time, it, you know it's interesting. I feel like he's been pretty straightforward about it, certainly from Mark's perspective and in, in his gospel. In the past, we've seen it already just recently in chapter 9. But it, 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 almost, it can't get any more straightforward here. Yeah. I mean, he, almost, he, he, he kind of paints a timeline. Listen, verse 33. We're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man is going to be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. They're going to condemn him to death. They're going to give him over to the Gentiles or the Romans. They're going to mock him. They're going to scourge him. They're going to spit on him, and they're going to kill him and then the third day he's going to rise again. I mean it, it is a it's a bullet point in yeah, timeline yeah. of exactly what's going to take place. And you know to your point we're we're really on the road to that. I mean we yeah. are really really making uh, a move in that direction. And, and so you do kind of have that break. Uh, you know you know before we're done here in Mark chapter 10 we've made mention of you know the these big picture teachings that Jesus gives and pride, you know certainly is a big one. Well, there, beginning of verse thirty-five, another story pops up, and really pride, you know, comes to the front, where you have James and John, and they're in a discussion, and, and uh, Jesus becomes involved. I think it's interesting they they come to Jesus and they're like, "We want to ask you for what we want," and mm-hmm. Jesus allows that. Yeah. Now he probably knows where that discussion certainly sure. is going, but you know he he allows that, and, and what they're asking for, in, in essence, is a, is a selfish and a prideful yeah. thing. When we when we get I think showcasing some understanding of who Jesus is Mm -hmm. and the power Mm -hmm. and authority that he carries. But, you know, basically when we're in heaven, you know, I want to sit on one side and my brother, you know, sit on the other. And, uh, you know, it's interesting the way Jesus kind of deals with that, you know, of saying, listen, you want to be like me. You want to have what I have. You want to be where I am. And he says, okay that that is going to be the case. Mm-hmm. You can have what I have. You can go where I go. You can be what I be what what I'm going to be. Basically where he had just talked to them. Right. And he basically says, "Listen, if that's what you want, then that's what's going to happen." And basically tells them that the difficulty that I'm about to endure even to death, that's a difficulty that you're going to endure as well. And you can certainly, you know, get into the book of Acts and specifically with James. Pretty early on, uh, as the church is established he is he 's grabbed and killed pretty yep. quickly yep. and uh and we know the difficulties that John certainly had deep into his life uh, because of his relationship with christ yeah
0: th- there is this is an interesting interaction because th- there is th- there is a level of faith that 's being shown here you you pointed out the fact that i mean they do understand that that Jesus is the messiah he 's the Son of god and you know, they they do recognize him and his authority and all of these things. And so there is an admirable quality to that, and there is a level of faith that is being shown. And even so, that when they recognize or Jesus explains to them how difficult this is going to be, they're still in it. They're still willing to do it. That's how, I mean, they respond it, in it, verse 39, we're able, let's go. Mm -hmm. And Jesus had already painted a pretty uh, terrifying picture of what the end was going to look like for him. And they're still willing. And so there is that level of faith that's being shown. Uh, At the same time, when we see this a couple of different instances with the apostles, there is also a desire for greatness in the eyes of Jesus, to be seen as great in the kingdom. And, and that's something that they struggle with from time to time as they try to find their place and, and more clearly understand those things. And, you know, when everybody else heard this, they weren't very happy with with James and John, probably because they're like, well, we, we don't want them to get anything more than we get. But, you know, they, they struggle with this, but it's it's. A picture of them trying to understand. They're trying to come to terms with what's going on here. Yeah,
1: and here at the very end of this chapter, I'll share just a couple of other quick thoughts before we're done, and then John, I'll give you the last word. But you know, here in Mark chapter 10, especially in verse 45, is again a pretty well-known and pretty important verse of Jesus and what he's all about. And for us, it is to be exemplified, right? His attitude of service. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Uh, for many. And ultimately, that for us is to be exemplified. That that level of attitude, that's what combats yeah. the pride, right. right? Is reaching out to others. Not being uh, looking to be served, but to serve and focusing on God and then focusing on others. And then the little story that we get, you know, here at the very end you know, is caught out. Sh- certainly showcasing Jesus's power. We've seen that multiple times through the Gospel of Mark. But what's interesting about that is I mean, the incredible level of faith here from Bartimaeus. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has, is screaming out at Jesus. People are trying to get him to calm down. He's screaming even more. And and, and Jesus awards and awards his faith
0: and, and yeah. that really becomes an important piece here at the end. Yeah, I mean that's what Jesus wants from all of us is is faith and you know it's it's such a simple thing to say but it really is it's just showcasing the fullness of one giving themselves to Christ, and he recognizes that Jesus is his only hope to ever have sight is in Christ, and that's really where his faith is born. He recognizes his need for Christ, and that's where all of us need to be, is recognizing our need for Christ, crying out to him, and recognizing that he's the only one that can really help us in our time of need. Yep, there's no doubt. Well, we'll
1: put the brakes here on Mark chapter 10. Again, we'll encourage you to, you know, read the chapter. We, we hit uh, bits and pieces along the way. There's a lot in there. Uh, so take some time and to read it for yourself. We appreciate you studying along with us this week. We look forward to Mark chapter 11 next week.